But you know, believe it or not, it is almost Thanksgiving again. Wow. So it's a great time to stop and ask ourselves what Thanksgiving means to us and what we're thankful for. I, I know JJ has his heart all set on the big dinner to come. And truth be told, I really can't wait either. But, you know, we all are thankful for different things. Maybe you're looking forward to a day in front of the TV watching football. If you're still working, maybe you're looking forward to a day off. And, and I'm sure all of those things, the food and, and fun, are going to be part of your celebration too. But I think for myself, even though I, I love the food and the fellowship and the fun times, even more important, then all of those things is the opportunity that we'll have to pause and remember the real meaning of the day, the real meaning of the holiday. Because when we get together with our family and friends this Thursday, we are going to carry out a tradition that is older than the founding of our nation and has a direct link with this church. Because our congregational denomination came to America on the Mayflower. That means we invented Thanksgiving. Right? Yeah, that's right. We invented, yeah, good job, everybody. We invented Thanksgiving. Because remember, Thanksgiving stems from the founding of the Plymouth Colony in 1620 by the Pilgrims, and, and then later colonies of Puritans. And, and these early settlers left the old world and came to the new one so that they could worship God freely. Worship Him freely according to their own conscience. But, you know, they had a rough time at first. Probably... Every school child has been told the story of the Mayflower Pilgrims and their first year of sickness and, and scarcity, in which half of their number died. But how, in spite of everything, how they never forgot to be thankful. They never forgot to be thankful. So in 1621, when the Lord did bless their labors and rewarded them with a bountiful harvest, the pilgrims, these religious ancestors of ours here, of our congregational faith, set aside three days in December to praise God, and to give him thanks for all of their blessings. To celebrate his bounty with a religious observance that combined prayer and feasting and rest. And to their minds, this, this early settlers were not thinking that they were just having a big party, but rather they were expressing a joyous outpouring of gratitude to the Heavenly Father, and they were also expressing their Christian faith. And you know, the holiday didn't stop there. Years later, in 1789, George Washington proclaimed November 26th as a national day of thanksgiving to the Lord, partly in response to God's granting America freedom from the British. No offense to her ladyship. And I want to read to you, as I, as I do each Thanksgiving, just a couple lines from that proclamation for you so that you'll see the, the strong and absolute acknowledgement of our founding fathers in their faith in God and of our nation's dependence on him. So I, I, I want to share this with you. This is what he wrote. By the President of the United States of America, a proclamation. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress let that sink in for me. Whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts 
the many signal favors of Almighty God. You know, that almost sounds strange today, doesn't it? In an age when powerful forces are at work in our nation to strip us of every reminder that we are one nation under God. What an incredible time it must have been for Washington to live in a day and age like that, to have that type of the backing of Congress to produce this proclamation. You know, years later in 1863, Abraham Lincoln revived that tradition. And finally, in 1941, the United States Congress decreed that the fourth Thursday of November would be a day of thanksgiving that we still celebrate today. And I wanted to share that with you because I think it's important not only for our congregational connection to the pilgrims, but to remember our nation's godly heritage. You know, as important as that is, though, all of that history, as much as I enjoy sharing with you, as much as I love to have a time like Thursday where we can stop and gather to give thanks collectively, what I really want to talk about today is the fact that as a nation, and as individuals, we should never be guilty of only being thankful to God just one day a year. You can't be thankful just that one day of the year because we've all been blessed, every one of us, materially and spiritually, beyond our ability to deserve. So much so that every day should be a thanksgiving day for the believer. And I want to look at that idea of thankfulness through our text for today that comes to us from the lectionary, which is really a lesson about gratitude and about making good use of what God has given to all of us. So we're going to be continuing in our study through the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. So hear now the words of the true and living God. Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them another five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained another two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought another five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, Thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, here thou hast that is thine own. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gathered where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. 
But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant in outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a pretty rough story. And so I guess I have to tell you, I have good news today, and I have bad news. Now, the bad news is that I'm going to be talking to you about money, which is something that, that no congregation likes to hear sermons on. Right? But the good news is, even though I'm going to be speaking to you about money, I won't be asking you for any. Carolyn's going to do that when we're done. Right? But rather, my intention is, is really is commending you as a body of believers for all that you have accomplished over this past 12 months. Because I think the real intent of the text that we read goes way beyond just strictly material concerns. It's not just about the money. What it's really about is a life of stewardship. And you know, there's a a lot of directions we could go with this text today, but I want to limit my focus to its message about growing and developing and using for God's glory whatever we have been given by him before our Lord returns. And, you know, from my perspective, even though I have no idea at all what individual people give, it's easy to see the fruits of your labor all around, right? It's easy to see all the things that have changed and improved over this past year and to see how all of you have joyfully and generously used your talents for God's kingdom. And when we read today's parable, the lesson kind of jumps out here because we see that these three servants each receive something from the master to be put to use. Remember, verse 15 said he gave five talents to one, two talents to another, one talent to the last, each according to his ability, showing us that the servants of the Lord, the the members of this church, have all received talents from Jesus. That's the first lesson to really get from this reading. There's not one member of this church to whom Jesus has not given some kind of gift. But we'll get back to that. The second thing about the gift is, is what exactly it is that we've received. Now, it is true that the word talent, as used in our text, does refer to money in its strictest sense. And, and maybe that's a good place to start. <coughs> Excuse me. Because if there's one thing that almost always gives a clear indication of our faith, and that is the way that we use money. Right? When our personal desires and our, our lifestyle take priority over giving to God, and to his work in the world, it says something about how much we value or maybe don't value our Lord. Because, you know, how we view money is a pretty good measure of our commitment to God or to our own agenda. And I am so thankful, though, to say that as a congregation, you all have continually gone over and above expectations. I wish, I wish Brother Bill was here and he would tell you, because many of you may not know, Last time for last year, for the very first time ever, the members of this church pledged 100% of our church's budget. And I think that's really awesome. Give yourselves a round of applause. <clears throat> you know, that's almost unheard of in any organization. If you're part of a, any other civic club or groups that try to raise money, to get 100% of the budget pledged is incredible. And I think it happened, though, for a couple of important reasons. The primary one was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on your generosity. That's the primary reason. But the other was because a few of you folks, even though I don't know what individual people give, have shared with me privately that they willingly and joyfully practice the spiritual discipline of tithing. And I know that 
that word is kind of given a, a negative and kind of suspicious connotation by modern day Christians because it sounds too controlling. It sounds too legalistic. So just, just for clarity's sake, I want to look briefly at what it actually does mean. If you take a look all the way back in the last book of the Old Testament, our God, speaking through the prophet Malachi, asks this question. He says, will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? And when you hear that at first, you think, well, that sounds pretty impossible, right? How could, how could anyone scale the gates of heaven, break into God's throne room, and help themselves to whatever they wanted? They couldn't, right? The strongest robber in the world could never accomplish that. And yet, God looked at his people and he said, you're robbing me. You're robbing me. And they answer back, they say, well, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And God replied, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will. I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. And then he says, try it. Try it. Put me to the test. And again, I know it can be a touchy subject, but you know, to preach God's word with integrity, we have to look at all of it, not just the parts that you and I may necessarily like. And I'll be honest enough to admit that there was a really long period, a very long period, in my life where Vicky and I did not practice tithing. And, you know, I had all kinds of rationalizations for why not. Like, well, that's just an Old Testament thing. That passed away with the coming of the New Testament. And, you know, that's a pretty common argument because tithing is mentioned only three or four times in the New Covenant. But let me tell you why I, I am firmly convinced that it's still a valid principle. So think about this for a minute. If under the Old Covenant, Tithing was required for the support of the temple and for its priests at a rate of 10% to maintain a covenant that could never ultimately redeem its people by itself. How much more joyfully should we give to God under the new covenant? When we have the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, when we have the infilling of the Holy Spirit, I mean, think about it. The old covenant gave us condemnation. The new covenant gives us justification. The Old Covenant gave us laws and, and regulations. The New Covenant gives us peace with God. The Old Covenant required a priest to reach the Father. Our New Covenant gives us access to the very throne of grace. So how much more should we be willing to freely and generously give so that God's work in the world can be done? God's work to proclaim the gospel and declare this New Covenant that gives us life. And it gives the message of life to everyone that receives it. And, and so in that sense, I think the question of whether the New Testament mandates tithing or not becomes completely irrelevant because people who trust their lives to Jesus Christ don't worry about whether tithing is commanded or not. They worry about being transformed by Christ in the light of his generosity. Though. And I want to I give you know, to the church when you have that kind of attitude, not because it's required. When you say, I want to give, as a result of a relationship, a relationship with Almighty God in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, the second argument I had to avoid the tithe was, you know, well, we just can't afford it. Can't afford it. And what that statement really meant was, 
that we couldn't afford to pay our tithe and pay all the other expenses that we incurred to maintain our lifestyle. So that giving to God became something that was on the bottom of our priority list. And I know that I've mentioned this before, but there was definitely a time in my life that I'll confess to that I trusted in money more than I trusted in God. And I don't think it was in a cognitive way that I would have verbalized at the time, but looking back, that's how I acted. It's how I lived until God took it all away. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, that was a great lesson in trusting God because there was nothing left to trust in besides him. And I know for Vicky and myself, after you know, going through probably the lowest time in our lives, that God delivered us from a place of being bound to spreadsheets and profit margins and brought us into a place of life and of peace. So I can tell you honestly, after having lived both sides of the argument, I, I can testify that one of the saddest realities of not tithing is not only are we guilty of robbing God, but we also rob ourselves of the joy of giving and of the blessings that flow from it. Because if you haven't figured it out yet, you can't outgive God. Brothers and sisters, you cannot outgive God. That's why God said in Malachi, put me to the test, said the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. So have you put God to the test? Have you tried him? It's the only commandment that I know of that he dares us to give a try. To see if he will not open the windows of heaven and empty his treasury upon you. Or are you kind of hoarding what he has entrusted to you in a hole in the back of the house like the guy in today's parable did? Think about that while you're you know, gathered around your bountiful Thanksgiving table. And the thing that I really want you to remember here is that you know, the talents that the master gives us are a trust. You know, for yourselves, if you put money into a trust account at the bank. They keep it for you, but you expect to see some interest from it, right? Even if it's not a lot. And that's what Jesus is getting at here, that God gives us talents in all their various forms so that we can be fruitful and multiply for his kingdom and his glory. But you know, as I started to say earlier, that word talent really is broader than money because when we understand the meaning of the text, a talent can also refer to a whole broad range of things. So if God has given you money and he's given some to all of us, we receive it as a trust. But the same thing is true of natural talent. If you've received a natural talent from the Lord, you've got to put it to use for him. And if he's given you a spiritual gift, and every Christian has received at least one spiritual gift, then you must use that for his kingdom. You know, In short, I, I read somewhere earlier this week, the definition of a talent is whatever the Lord gives you now and will ask you about later. Whatever the Lord gives you now that he's going to ask you about later. So think about that. Which talents has he given you? And what is he going to ask you about later when it comes to how you use them? And our only proper response to that should be to praise him and to worship him and to thank him, marveling at who God is and how much he cares for us. And God help us if we ever stop being amazed at this incredible God that we serve. Did you ever stop and just be amazed at the person of Christ? I think sometimes we see so many printed images of him on Facebook and in sermon slides, and I shared this with you guys last year, but, you know, we forget just how incredibly awesome he really is. But listen to this description from Colossians chapter 1 and see what I mean. Paul writes, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything 
was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. What an incredible imagery that is. Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Jesus creating all things and having existed before all things and then dying on the cross to make peace and reconcile all things to himself. I mean, can you possibly read those scriptures or hear those words and not be moved to thanksgiving? And not just thanksgiving, but thankful living. Thankful living that puts to use all those talents that God has bestowed on us for his glory, and for the extension of the kingdom. And so we need to ask ourselves, are you and I actively acknowledging who God is and how he's revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ? And are we together as individuals and as a congregation grateful for the loving care he has for us in his offer of salvation? Is our life characterized by thanksgiving and by praise to God? Or do we kind of tend to complain? and question, and doubt God? Do we think, hey, uh, you know, I need to hold on pretty tight to everything I've got because if times get tough, I've got to take care of me. But you know, the answer to those questions makes a big difference in day-to-day -day living because everything we do, everything that we are, everything in our lives rises or falls on our perception of just who God is and how much he cares for us. So it's imperative that we never forget who we're serving, and how much he loves us. I mean, isn't it exhausting being upset and worried all the time? Right? Don't you get tired of that? But you know what happens because we don't have a big enough view of our God or an understanding of how much he cares for us. I mean, honestly, isn't life more enjoyable when we acknowledge who God is and how good he is? We're serving the Lord, the only living God, who made himself available to us in his Son. So this Thanksgiving, let's enlarge our view of God. Don't focus on what you don't have or on what you wish was different, but focus on our awesome God and his goodness to us and be thankful. Be thankful. And from the depths of that Thanksgiving, continue as you have already so consistently done and support the work of this kingdom wherever in the world and however in this life the Holy Spirit has called you to do. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for this people. I thank you, Lord, for what a blessing that you have given to each of us. And I ask you, Lord, that you would move us now by your spirit to take whatever talent we've received, whatever gift you've given us, and, and use it, Lord, wherever you're calling us to. We know, Lord, the leadership of this church would be so grateful if that would be here. But, Father, you call us to give to you no matter where. So I ask, Lord, that you would move the members of this body to be generous, and to be thankful in whatever you've given them, and wherever you would have them to do it. And so we thank you, Father, for your love. We thank you for your blessings, and we thank you, Lord, most of all, 
for the gift of your Son, our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.